Day. If you're unaware, the words of that song come out of what we have as Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 after she finds out that she is pregnant and uh, she goes and visits her uh, cousin, I guess, or relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And uh, Mary uh, sings this song with these words that, that we just sang. You know, Mother's Day became an official holiday in 1914 when Woodrow Wilson signed into act a law saying that the second Sunday in May would be recognized uh, as Mother's Day. And I think that that, I'm going to have to go check and find out when Father's Day came along. But uh, anyway, in 1914, that's about 105 years ago, if my math is even close to being correct. I uh, vividly remember the first time I was consciously aware of Mother's Day. I may have been aware of it before then, but the the first time I consciously remember being aware of Mother's Day was when I was in the sixth grade. Now, I'm old enough that sixth grade was still in elementary school. And uh, so the teachers decided that we were going, we as the students were going to put on a Mother's Day performance for our mothers. And we're going to do a play. (coughs) And uh, this play was a dialogue out of a song that I'm going to read in a minute. It's a country western song. Uh, But uh, it was a dialogue between a son and his mother. And the teachers want, the teacher wanted me to be the son in this play. Of course, that meant I was going to have to be on stage in front of all the mothers and everybody else that was going to be there. And I was a little hesitant. This may shock you. I'm a little shy. (laughs) And so I was a little hesitant until I found out that the girl who was going to be playing my mother was Renee Moffat. Uh, Yeah, you can figure it out already. Renee Moffat was the cutest girl in the sixth grade. And I'm thinking, okay. And then it got even better. Because as I read the script, I find out that at the end, I get to kiss her. So I was all about doing the play. In fact, in rehearsal, I kept saying, let's try it again. (laughs) So all through the rest of junior high and the couple years that I was in high school, I always reminded Renee Moffat that I was her first kiss. She didn't appreciate that very much. But besides remembering Renee Moffat, I remember the words of that song. We read it as a poem, but it was, it was the words of a song. And some of you will remember this. Uh, it's going to go in here, and you got to understand that it's going to list some prices. Now, you got to remember this was at least 45 years ago, so you got to adjust for inflation. Okay? It says, now our little boy came up to his mom in the kitchen this evening while she was fixing supper. And he handed her a piece of paper he'd been writing on. And after wiping her hands on her apron, she read it. And this is what it said. For mowing the lawn, $5. For making my own bed this week, $1. And for going to the store, 50 cents. And playing with little brother while you went shopping, 25 cents. Taking out the trash, $1. 
Getting a good report card, $5. And for raking the yard, $2. Total owed, $14.75. Well, his mom looked at him, standing there expectantly, and I could see the memories flashing through her mind. And so she picked up the pen and turning the paper over, this is what she wrote. For the nine months I carried you growing inside me, no charge. For the nights I sat up with you, doctored you, and prayed for you, no charge. For the time and the tears that you've cost through the years, there's no charge. And when you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. For the nights filled with dread and all the worries ahead, no charge. For advice and the knowledge and the cost of your college, no charge. No charge. For the toys, food, and clothes, and for even wiping your nose, there's no charge, son. And when you add it all up, the full cost of my love is no charge. Well, when he finished reading, he had great big old tears in his eyes. And he looked up at her standing there and said, Mama, I sure do love you. Then he took the pen and in great big letters he wrote, Paid in full. God knows when you add it all up, the cost of real love is... No charge. And yeah, I remember the kiss with uh, Renee Moffat. But I remember those words more, even as a sixth grader. And as we come here today, you know, our whole perception of mothers depends really on how we were raised and, and how we grew up. And for most of us, I would say that that we have those fond memories of our mothers. And we can appreciate all that they did for us and have done for us and continue to do for us. But I also understand that there may be others with different circumstances that maybe don't really have that same kind of memories to look back on. But this morning, I wanted us to think about the idea that even though Mother's Day is not a holiday per se, the Bible speaks very clearly about honoring your parents. You know, the Ten Commandments, we call them. The top ten. And one of the first ones that has to do with our relationship with others outside of our relationship with God is honor your father and mother. Paul repeats that in the book of Ephesians. For most of us, mothers hold a high place of honor. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was concerned about his mother's well-being and entrusted her to John. Throughout the Bible, there are examples of great mothers and what they provide for their children, what they give their children. And today, more than any other time, perhaps, mothers and fathers are busy with providing lots of important things for their children. Carpool, meals, clothes, all these different things. And today, this morning, I want to look at three mothers in the Bible and what they provided for their children. And that could be a blueprint for the mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and mothers-to-be in the audience 
I got a little ahead of myself. Uh, you know, what do they call that? You, you get out over your skis. Is that, that a term, you know, where you kind of kind of uh, go beyond what your scope of knowledge? You know, I do that all the time. But uh, Barbara was walking down to the to Bible class today. And so I thought I was going to get all smart in my Portuguese. And so I asked her, onde é sua filha? Yeah, there's four people that laughed. Because what I said was, where is your daughter? I obviously meant to say, where is your sister? But she said, Barbara said, ask me in about 20 years. So, you know, today's lesson's not just about the present, but about the future as well. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, actually we're going to begin at Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. You remember that a new Pharaoh has come to power in Egypt. And he doesn't know about all the good things that Joseph had done for the Pharaohs in the past. And this is 450 years later, by the way. And so he's all concerned about this whole group of Hebrews who are living in the land. And he begins to get a little paranoid about them. So he tries to reduce their population. It didn't work. So then he says at the end of chapter 1, when then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I'm used to my kids being here, but most of them are sitting with their... Girls, this is the one time in that culture where it was good to be a girl. Because normally we go, ah, the girls don't count. Which is kind of what was happening back then. But then it says... Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. We find out later her name is Jochebed. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And so we see in Jochebed, one thing that good great mothers provide for their children or give to their children is safety. Moses' mother wanted to see, wanted to make sure that that, uh, Moses was safe. And she didn't know how to do it. So she, she makes this basket or gets a basket, puts him in it. And puts him in the Nile River. Now, to you and me, that may not seem like very safe. I don't know much about the Nile. But there's gators. Or maybe crocs. I don't know. One of the two. There's one of those two, if not both of them. There's snakes. There's all kinds of other stuff. But she puts him in the basket and puts him in the Nile River. But she sends her daughter, Moses' sister, to watch and to see. And the safety of the water and the safety in the basket was safer than where he was. With the threat of Pharaoh and his servants coming and taking him and throwing him into the river anyway. We live in a very dangerous society. 
There are lots of things out there that can harm our children. And we do our best, and mothers do their best, to try to, to keep their children safe, to try to protect them. Now, one thing we know about that, those of us who are a little more aged, is that the way we protect our children have kind of evolved as new technology and things come along. For many of us, the only car seat we ever knew or the only safety protection we ever knew was this, right? We're sitting in the car next to mama. Nobody ever used the seat belts. And if mama had to step on the brake real hard, she'd go like that and pin you against the back seat. How many of you have actually slept on the back ledge of the car? Yeah, They would put you under the jail if you tried that today. But there are some things that I think mothers have said throughout history, perhaps. Well, not throughout history, but a lot. Don't run with the scissors, right? Poke your eye out. Or this one. Don't cross your eyes. They'll stick that way. I don't believe that. Because I tried it. (laughs) But mothers just kind of have an inbred, innate emotion of protection of their children. We know that from nature, right? We know do not mess with the cub, right? You mess with the cub, the mama's going to come get you. And I have told you before, most of you have heard this before, when the bus barn used to be out here, it was just a a shed to put the bus under. And I went out there one day and I looked on the ground and it was this baby bird. Well, I knew not to touch the baby bird, you know. I knew that if I touched it for sure, it wouldn't get back in the nest. Well, all of a sudden, whop! (laughs) This mockingbird had come and attacked me. And attacked me all the way to the house. Because I apparently was messing with her baby. And she wanted to protect it. Mamas, parents, want to provide safety for their children. Waiting up all hours. Waiting for the phone calls. You know, you parents now, and, and even I, you know, have it a a whole lot better than parents in the past. I gripe and complain about modern technology and cell phones and all that kind of junk and everything. But boy, it sure is nice to be able to get a hold of your children. It sure is nice to be able to know where they are. You parents that grew up and raised your children in the age without that, you know what I'm talking about. Sitting up and waiting and waiting and waiting. And wondering and wondering and wondering and praying and praying and praying that your children came home safe. But we not only live in a world that is physically dangerous. More importantly, we live in a world that is spiritually dangerous. We know that verse in the Bible where it says, watch out and be careful because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Now, I know you mothers. If a literal roaring lion were about to attack your child, you would throw yourself in front of it. You would stare. Most of you, just with your look, would stare that lion down. You better get away from my child. Don't you come anywhere close. Or you would jump on that line and you would be poking eyes and you'd be pulling hair. You'd be doing whatever to protect your child from that line. But there is an unseen line out there. There is an unseen danger. There is an unseen enemy, an unseen adversary. And that is Satan. And he wants to devour your children. Eat them alive. Take them whole. We need parents who provide a spiritually safe environment for their children. Now I'm glad the teens aren't mostly sitting over here because they'd be getting ugly faces on their right now. Parents, it is your job to know who your kids are hanging out with. It is your job To know what kind of activities they're involved in. It is your job to know who they're communicating with on all their devices. It's your job. You would keep them safe physically. You need to keep them safe spiritually as well. It is your responsibility as parents, as mothers and fathers... To protect your children spiritually. We need parents who will be involved in their children's lives. Monitor their activities and friends. Provide good counsel as to what and wrong. Spiritually and why. Most mothers would do anything to keep their children safe physically. But many neglect the spiritual aspect. So Jochebed provided safety for Moses. There's another mother, Eunice, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. And she provides spiritual instruction. Get over there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy came from a divided family. His mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. I don't know if his father was converted to Christianity when Paul came to Lystra, Timothy's hometown. It doesn't mention anything else about Timothy's father except that he was a Greek. So perhaps he was an unbeliever. He certainly was not a Jew. And yet Paul tells Timothy, I know that your grandmother, and I normally get these confused, but your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, they taught you God's word. Even when Timothy's father may not have even believed, may not have even cared, but they taught him God's word. And for them, faith and belief was 
I got the word. It's right there. Generational. Thank you. That was the word. It was generational. From Lois to Eunice to Timothy. I was thinking about that. And we may have others example of that here. But right over here we got four generations of daughters back there. And we may have some others like that here, here this morning. Well, what a beautiful thing. Four generations worshiping God. Parents, you need to teach your children God's word. You need to teach them the what is right and wrong. They had taught Timothy God's way. They instilled in him a faith in God. You know, we spend a lot of time teaching our children a lot of things. Children's? Did I say children's? Children, a lot of things. We'll teach them their ABCs. We'll teach them how to throw a ball. We'll teach them how to play a piano or whatever the case may be. We'll teach them all these things. But we cannot neglect teaching them the word of God. Teaching them the word of God is not an absolute. It doesn't mean that if we teach them, then there's not any chance ever that they'll go their own way and, and turn away from God. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean they'll have the best foundation. They'll have the best start. They'll have the best, they'll be better equipped to go into this world. And we need that. We teach them to drive a car, we teach them to cook, those things like that. I knew a doctor once in Dallas. Pretty cool thing, actually. Now he was he was a very well-to-do doctor. And he lived in Highland Park, so that'll tell you, you know, he's pretty well to do. And he had three boys. And when each of his boys got old enough to drive, he bought them a new car. Wow. But here's the catch. He took it apart in the garage. And they could not drive the car until they could put it back together. Wow. Wow. My daddy did that, I'd still be walking. (laughs) But he wanted those boys to understand how a car worked. How it was put together. What each piece meant and things like that. And of course, you know, back in those days without the computers and all that, it meant more. Because you could work on the cars yourself. I thought that was pretty good. And so we may teach our children these different things, but are we teaching them God's way? We need to make sure that we do that. And thirdly, from Hannah, the mother of Samuel, we get priorities. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that uh, uh, Hannah is unable to have children and, and, and she prays and, and then Eli tells her that she'll have a child by the next year. And so in verse 24 of chapter 1, she has, well, she has Samuel before that. But in 24, he says, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her. Young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was 
stood beside here praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord granted me what I asked for. So now I give him to the Lord. And for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I know that we don't do christenings per se. But I think that every set of parents ought to take a moment, take an opportunity to dedicate their child to the Lord. And say, yes, this is my child, but you gave it to me, him or her. And I'm going to dedicate this child to you and your service. I'm going to pray over him or her. I'm going to train him or her. I'm going to teach him or her about what priorities are important. I think about that when I think about Eunice and Timothy. They're from Lystra. If you remember, Lystra is where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Eunice and Lois and maybe even Timothy had been witness to that on the first mission trip. Now Paul and Silas come back through Lystra on the second mission trip. And they say, Timothy, we want to take you with us. I know what some of you mothers might have said. "Uh Uh-uh. I saw what happened to you. I don't want that for my boy. I don't want you taking him off somewhere and him getting stoned or getting killed or whatever. I want him to stay here. I want him to be safe. But she gave Timothy over to Paul. Or allowed him to go. I don't know exactly how it all went. But I think she was okay with it. We need to provide right priorities for our children. The importance of service to God. The idea that God is first in our lives. First above job, school, school activities. Because in the end, that is what matters. Is what we do for God. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, right? I'd like to paraphrase that a bit. What does it profit a parent if a child excels in school, is popular with their peers, is successful in a career, wins at athletics, yet loses his soul? What does it profit a parent? What will it matter? We need mothers and fathers, but mothers who provide safety for their children, like Jacobed, spiritual safety. You know, I know, we're close. I can, I can see the clock. But there used to be a time, and you who are older than me, there used to be a time where we could count on. The support of neighbors and friends and teachers and even the media to some extent to help promote godly principles and godly ways. 
And we kind of did that hand in hand with our society and our community. That time is no more. We cannot count on friends. We cannot count on society. We cannot count on school. We cannot count on media. That's why it's so important we make sure that we do it ourselves. And provide our children with those things that they need spiritually. To be successful spiritually in life. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.